Okay, I think we're live and ready to go. Uh, so welcome to a live stream. Um, we will also be putting this up on a YouTube channel for people to watch back later. Uh, for now, welcome to a live stream. We're in COVID lockdown at the moment, so we're doing this uh, in a very digital way. Uh, my name is Craig Fenton. I'm a director at Google. Uh, in the UK and Ireland, and I'm really, really happy uh, today to be joined by Katrina Hassan, uh, who is a, a qualified Conmarie consultant. That's the technique that Marie Kondo uh, uh, uses and talks about on her, uh, her wonderful program about uh, tidying up. Uh, and today we'll be digging into a really important, I think, and timely topic uh, right now, which is how to move the techniques of, of tidying and decluttering in the home into the working from home environment, the working environment. Uh, that is a really timely uh, topic, A, because of the context that we're in at the moment, and B, because earlier on this month, Marie Kondo uh, released a new book called Joy at Work, Organising Your Professional Life. So with Katrina, we'll get into a few of those concepts. I'll put all of the relevant links below for those of you who come back to this on YouTube so that you can click through and find uh, Katrina, uh, who has a business called sparkjoylondon.com. I'll put the link of that below uh, and also get information about Conmarie and, uh, and the various um, books uh, that she has available. So uh, a very warm welcome, first of all, to Katrina. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Excellent. It's a little bit surreal, isn't it, uh, to, to be talking to each other as though there's two of us, but we know actually this is a live stream. Uh, last time we did this, we had more than 600 on, so uh, it's like talking to a stadium in a way, but in a, in a, in a way that we can't see anyone. Um, I know, Katrina, that uh, you, you first encountered the Conmarie technique uh, as you were pregnant with your first child, uh, I think you were a teacher at the time. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what drew you to um, the technique and what it was like studying with Marie Kondo herself? Yeah, yeah, of course. So I was a teacher for nine years and I loved my job. I, I loved working with the children and supporting the staff and the parents and being involved in that community. And while I was there, the school went from a good graded school to outstanding. And I was so proud to be part of that achievement. But gradually, I started to be completely inundated with work. My work would go into the evenings. I would be working weekends. And as it was my first teaching post as well, I was very much, yes, I'll do that. And I'll take on the, that additional responsibility. So it got to the point where I had no work-life balance. And I went on this amazing trip to Japan in 2015 with my husband. And I just fell in love with everything to do with Japanese culture, the focus on gratitude, on respect, the focus on well-being, just how efficient the country ran. I came back totally inspired by that. And my husband and I also came back to the amazing news that we were pregnant with our first baby. And we wanted to plan a home birth. So 
we were looking into ways that we could transform our home environment to give us the best chance of giving birth at home. And decluttering was one of the ideas we had. We wanted to create this home sanctuary for ourselves. And as if by a stroke of luck, we read an article in the Times one day, and it was about this Japanese professional organizer called Marie Kondo, and she'd written this book called The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. And I thought, well, that sounds like something we'd be interested in. Let's channel that pure nesting energy to its finest. And we bought the book and my husband was very, very on board with going through this process with me. And we read a chapter at a time and then we would discuss the content. And there would be times where we would just stop and look at each other and just feel like this is amazing this philosophy about how you surround yourself with joy and you let go of all the rest all of that stuff that holds you back and feels like clutter in your life you just let go of it and we went to work decluttering and organizing our home using the KonMari technique and it was so embarrassing, Craig, because we would literally set our work tasks of KonMari on the weekend and cancel social plans just to go about our Marie Kondo day. <laughs> and I look at, back at that now and feel quite embarrassed. But we were so in the tidying zone because once you get started, you're motivated to continue as you tidy through category by category. And we could see that things were really starting to take shape. And our mindset was changing as well. The appreciation for the items that we kept because it's all focused on positivity and joy and just making sure you find a home for everything. So I basically transformed our home with the help of my husband within four months. And I was still pregnant at the time and still teaching, but I was starting to look at my career in a different light as well. And this happens so much when people go through the KonMari process. It's not just about organizing the items in your home. It's about embracing that mindset that comes with it. So I was looking at friendships in a different way, uh, relationships with family members, dare I say it, in a different way, but also my career, I was looking at it with fresh eyes. And I realized that I was, you know, in love with, with this new philosophy and teaching wasn't going to be sustainable for me moving forward when I had children. So I decided to resign from my teaching position and I, you know, put my whole effort into being a stay-at-home mum for a while with knowing that this, this, you know, could be something I could turn into a career, but I just need to get a little bit of experience. So I did a shout out to a local mums group um, in Surbiton where, I'm, where, where I live. And I said, look, I'm thinking about training with Marie Kondo and, uh, you know, becoming a consultant. Would anybody like some free support in transforming their homes? And the response I got back, Craig, was amazing. I think about 80 desperate mothers were like, please come to my house and help me. Because I'd gone through the process myself. I knew how to help people um, in, in that way. And I helped about 10 mums uh, transform their clothing category. And then they started to embrace the same mindset and being inspired and motivated in the same way that I did. So that was kind of like a test to see whether this was gonna have a real impact and whether this could potentially work as a business. And once I saw the transformation in their lives as well, I then thought, right, I'm gonna train with Marie, whatever it takes, I'm gonna get to one of her seminars. 
Now, back at the, the back at that time, the seminars took place in San Francisco and New York. So I had two children at this point. Um, my daughter was born 19 and a half months after my son. And I thought, right, I'm going to take my family out to San Fran or New York. We're going to train with Marie. We'll make it work. But then Marie announced that she was having a seminar in London. So I thought, well, that's a short commute. Let's do that, <laughs> which is great. And um, so I trained with Marie Kondo for three days. And and there were about 108 other potential consultants training with me and some had come from as far as Australia to train with her and we got to meet her and it was an amazing moment for me because you know through this process I was able to transform my environment I had two successful home births it changed my mindset on everything in my life and that was a real moment where I just you know looked at her and I said thank you so much for giving me the inspiration and the confidence to embark on on this new pathway in my life so that's kind of how I, I came to about came to meet her and, and to share that with her and what she what she likes she seems very yeah you know, I watched a, a few of the television uh, programs she seems very smiley uh, yeah. and very inviting is is that uh, true to life Absolutely. She's tiny. I'm, I'm actually really short. I'm, I'm about five foot one, but she's smaller than me. So you can kind of feel like you want to pick her up and put it in your pocket. Um, but she is just so calming. There's there's an aura about her that just resonates warmth and, and positivity and, um, you know, just this calmness that comes from within. And it's really inspirational just to be around her. And when she did the introduction um, to the seminar, the whole room was just completely silent because you can imagine these 108 participants had gone through this process themselves and stood in front of them uh you know is this inspirational role model for us all and it was you could hear a pin drop it was very very moving no doubt no doubt and uh you haven't looked back since you've got your own business uh tell us a little bit about that business and if people want to engage you uh how do they do that yeah, yeah, of course. So I, I trained with Marie, obviously, for three days, but then the certification process I had to go through to become a consultant was actually quite rigorous. So I had to complete practice sessions with two clients. I had to take somebody through their entire tidying festival, as we call it, because for those of you that aren't familiar with KonMari, you tidy by category, and there are five categories you have to go through to complete your tidying journey. So that's clothing, books, papers, kimono, which is everything else in your home base. Basically, it's Japanese for miscellaneous items. And then finally, you've got your sentimental category. So I had to take one client through that. And I also had to work with somebody else. And once I completed my practice sessions, I then had to take a really, really difficult exam and had to have an interview with the head of KonMari Media Inc. And then I had to, you know, join my annual subscription and all of this. Um, so it took me about three months to actually complete that certification part of the process. But when I did complete it, I have complete control of my business because it's not a franchise I'm actually able to operate my business in the way that I see fit which is so amazing for me to take the business wherever I want it to go so I work with clients on a one-to-one -one basis in their homes to take them through the KonMari method of organization um, and only people certified in the KonMari method can actually do this um, and I also work with corporate clients to share the philosophy
be, give support about how to achieve a work-life balance using on my own experience of where I've come from and the transformation that I've made, but also how to use Conmary principles to be a bit more aware and to be more conscious in, in terms of what we really value and what we really want from our ideal living um, environment, but also for our lives. Right. Well, that's a that's a perfect segue in a way. By the way, your your business once again, SparkJoy London, allruntogether.com. I'll put the link below. Uh, I guess that's the best way of contacting you if, uh, if someone wants to get some more one-on-one -on -one support. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, Marie Kondo's site is conmarie.com, and I'll I'll link that below as well. Um, so most people, I think, the uninitiated at least. Uh, associate Marie Kondo and the Conmarie technique with tidying. Yes. Uh, but having uh, having started to read the Joy at Work book, it's much more than that, isn't it? It's yes. uh, it's not only about tidying. In, in this case, your workplace. Uh, for me, I'm in my uh, home working environment. So are you at the moment? Uh, everyone on live stream will be as mm -hmm. well. Uh, so it's not only about getting that in order, but it's also about the, the way that you approach work and decluttering more in the figurative sense. Can you tell us more about that and, and help us transport ourselves from the home technique into the work technique? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the philosophy of KonMari, you're right, Craig, it's all based on mindset. It's about an inner dialogue with yourself moving forward about what you really want in your life. And this isn't just to do with physical items, it's to do with our digital realm that many people feel overwhelmed with today. And it's to do with our work choices, like the decisions we make in work, the meetings we attend, the teams that we're involved in, how to manage our network. And there's a real process that you go through when you read Joy at Work about how to compartmentalize each of these different things as their own entity and then tackle it in the same way you would tackle the categories of organizing your home. Now obviously the categories in Joy at Work are a bit more numerous than the ones that you would tackle when you're working through your home environment. As I've said there are five categories when you work through your home environment but when you are looking at using KonMari in the workplace you are still organizing by category but starting with say your workstation and looking at your books, your papers, if you're not yet paperless, going through your stationary items, your electronics, and then looking at sentimental items there. But then it actually moves on to the digital realm and how you look at the documents on your computers, um, looking at how you have apps and how to organize those, how then you can implement the same strategies when you are looking at how many emails you have and how to manage that. And it goes into the wider elements of your work, like your net work, your meetings, your teams, um, and how to tidy up your time. A lot of people suffer from calendar clutter as well, which is a real thing. We're overscheduling ourselves and we're not able to engage in what Cal Newport calls deep work, where we have a block of time to really get focused on something. So KonMari is all about you going through those different elements of your work and tackling it one category at a time. You're not actually able to progress onto the next category until you've fully taken stock over um, the, the, the category that you're on. So if you're working on your workspace, for example, you have to complete that before then moving on to your digital realm, because then you're able to maintain it moving forward. Now, 
in KonMari, we always start with a vision, and this is so important when I, whenever I work with clients in their home, and it's important whenever I work with clients on changing their work life as well. And it's important for this vision to be crystal clear in your mind about how you want your environment to feel, how you want your environment to look, and how you also want your work in life to look like. So there is a difference between being very, very simple here. If you just want to transform your work life and say okay I want to be more productive you have to go really really deep and think okay what does my work life actually look like at the moment how does my work day operate you know actually go through the time frame of your day and think how do I want to change that moving forward and the more crystal clear you are with that vision like it's a movie in your mind the closer it becomes to achieving it it's like with anything Craig you know a an athlete focuses on a goal and they can actually picture themselves picking up that trophy Visualization is everything. So when it comes to your work life, there's a lot in Joy at Work that talks about uh, you know, picturing this ideal work environment, picturing your ideal meeting, picturing how you want your calendar to look like, because this is all about you getting in touch with, with yourself and thinking about what your own priorities are and what your true values are. And unless you connect with that, you're unable to create a work life which is in line with those expectations you set for yourself. So the vision is absolutely crucial. And there's another part of Komari which is all to do with the concept of spark joy. Now this is used in popular culture quite a lot and it you know it does refer to does this bring me happiness but to go a little bit deeper than that it's more to do with does this item, does this meeting, does this organization of my time have intention for me moving forward, does it help me to achieve that goal? So if there is anything that falls short of that we feel liberated to let it go with gratitude for what it's taught us. You know if meetings aren't working for us, if it's a recurring meeting that just tends to happen over and over again we can feel free to let it go with gratitude for what it's taught us because that's not actually working for us anymore so all of these things are rooted back to that concept of what sparks joy for us but don't just think of it as a airy fairy does this bring me happiness is this making me happy because then you know quite honestly some parts of our job don't make us happy and we have to think about how to change our mindset to appreciating yes these things don't make us happy but are they an opportunity for growth can we see the good in this and if it's like I said a badly run meeting can we use this as a um, how not to run a meeting in the future so everything can be turned into a, a positive and to use Marie's example as well one of the reasons why she's written Joy at Work is because when she was promoting the life-changing magic of tidying up one question she got asked over and over again was you know this method is great for my home but what about my work you know I spend most of my time at work how do I incorporate the philosophy into that and at the time it was quite ironic because Marie was going through a time in her life where she didn't really enjoy her work because it was getting too stressful she couldn't say no to things she felt that everything was an opportunity and she'd miss out if she didn't accept this new talk or this new event or this new location she was presenting in and she was unable to really see okay well how can I you know share this philosophy with work when I don't actually experience joy and work myself so she then you know had an epiphany again she stripped everything back and thought well I can use my methodology 
technology to transform the way I think about work. So that's where it really started for her to think about how can I use the principles that have worked so successfully for people in their homes and then incorporate that into a work environment. So a lot of the philosophy, a lot of the methodology behind it can be transformed really effectively to creating a better work-life balance and to a better workspace and ultimately to a better career that sparks joy for you. So let's get into that. I want to zoom zoom in and I'm sure people are eager. I can just imagine uh, actually uh, those who are watching, there's an avalanche of calendar cancellations going on as we speak uh, for all of those meetings that don't spark joy. But I'm sure um, uh, there's some subtlety in what spark joy means actually yeah. in a work context. So let's maybe start with, email, uh, with uh, meetings. We'll come back to emails in a moment. Yeah. and just go a little bit more deeply in there if you've got a calendar uh, on uh, obviously a lot of this is personal so you you made the point that you start with visualization yeah. help us understand better what um is the sort of threshold criteria what does spark joy mean in a work context mm -hmm. so when you're thinking about meetings and, and you know, more specifically it's about thinking of the intention behind that meeting. And I love Oprah Winfrey's example here. Whenever she starts a meeting, the first thing she says is, what is our intention here? What are we here to do? And if you share that goal, if you share that intention and have that preset agenda, then everybody knows ahead of time what they can contribute. And I would always advise ahead of schedule sharing the agenda, sharing the goals with everybody so that they know how best to prepare for that meeting. Because everybody in a meeting wants to make a valuable contribution, right? They want it to be productive. And it's the meetings that are disorganized and messy that then make people feel a little bit alienated that they can't contribute so when you're thinking about that ideal meeting for example whether it's going to spark joy it comes back to what's the intention behind this but also not forgetting what's the purpose of a meeting it's not just to listen to somebody talk for 45 minutes it's about collaboration sharing ideas and if you're not able to collaborate then you can just kind of fade into the background and that does nothing for for people's self-esteem so if you're running a meeting you have to think about how to bring people on board how they can actively participate and you know coming back to this this idea of does this meeting spark joy you know if we know ahead of time what the agenda is going to be you know scott sonnenheim in the book um joy at work this is who marie kondo has collaborate, collaborated with he is an organizational psychologist he always talks about meetings needing that intent and purpose but also about do the people that are there that are kind of invited every time. Do they actually need to be there? And this isn't about alienating people. It's about giving them the choice. Okay, this is what the agenda is going to be. Do you feel like you can have a valuable contribution? Because if you don't, then without consequences, please feel free not to come. And think about the content itself. Is it something that is purely informational? Can it be shared with people so that they don't actually have to commit their presence there? Because this is time during their day, which could be spent doing other things. Now in the book as well, they go into a lot of detail how meetings are normally 30 minutes to an hour because these are kind of round numbers but how we should be reducing the amount of time for meetings by 15 minute increments and thinking about a number um, that's going to work for us in terms of duration they also talk about standing meetings and how this can encourage more collaboration because when people are seated at their 
at their workspace when they're in a meeting at a table, whatever the environment might be, they feel quite territorial around that space and this can make them possessive over their ideas and unwilling to share. So if you're standing, this can actually encourage more collaboration. Um, so there's a lot about you know, how to run a meeting um, in, in Joy at Work that can loop back to that you know, spark joy concept. But I think for us, we need to draw upon the meetings that are successful and take away those positive elements so that when we attend a meeting, we know how to get things back on track if they're going away that we don't necessarily want it to go. Um, but also if you're running a meeting, how to incorporate those successes into future meetings so that we don't lose people and so that it is beneficial. Does it root back to that intention and purpose about why you're all coming together? Sounds very sensible. So it's, it's more about being judicious and uh, constructive and intentional of, about, uh, about the way that time is used, which sounds great. Yeah. Uh, you talk about standing meetings. I'm, I'm standing at the moment, actually. I'm standing at, at home. Um, most of us are, are doing these meetings over Hangouts or Zoom or Skype or whatever your uh, video conferencing suite of choices. Um, any tips and techniques and how, how people might think about the Connery technique as it applies to these virtual meetings like we're in at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. So this is something I've been speaking with my husband about because he does a lot of virtual meetings at the moment. And he finds that if they are in the morning, they can really impact that productivity rate. When he gets down to work, he just really wants to use that time efficiently. And, you know, he's been talking about using the first part of his day to use that time for, you know, a meeting to start off the day, which is quite short, and then scheduling all of the other meetings to the afternoon now obviously we have to think about the purpose of the meeting the intention if it's about coming up with new ideas you probably want to schedule that in the morning when you're fresh and when you are not not then occupied by other thoughts during the day and um, so the time frame of meetings really needs to depend on how you're going to manage your, your work schedule so it comes back to when do I want that period of uninterrupted work time yes it's great we're having a meeting but going on from that I need to actually get this work done now so if I have meetings schedule that are an hour apart and you want a block of time that's lasting two hours to engage in deep work that's going to be an interruption so when we're thinking about these virtual meetings that we're holding we have to think is this going to directly have a negative impact on my level of output is it going to interfere with that focus and if it is we need to plan our meeting times according to that and what's going to work for us as an individual and as a team Thanks, Katrina. Good tips there. Um, let's go into emails and uh, talk about, well, uh, more generically, electronic communications. I don't know about you, Katrina, but I found my emails just exploded, right? It's gone through the, the roof. Um, add to that the, the ping, whatever chat application uh, people use. Uh, your tips, techniques, and ideas for how to manage that and declutter. Yeah, of course. Well, there are two um, trends of thought really when it comes to email management. Um, it does take a block of time to fully get a hold of email and I'm aware that in the current situation we all face, we are being inundated with emails. Um, but if you wanna get a hold of it, you have to go back to what this 
email life looks like for you and what boundaries you want to create around this. Now, this can be something as simple as what I do during my day. I like to time block when I look at my emails. So I will look at my emails first thing in the morning and literally set a timer. If there's anything I can respond to, I'll do that to get it out of the way. But before I engage in that level of deep work where I'm really focusing on the output, the productivity on one task, I know that that email slot is done. And then I'll refer back to it maybe in the afternoon and maybe at the end of the day. So time blocking email is great. But if you actually want to get to the root cause about how to manage email moving forward, it does take a block of time to actually sort out the email mess that's already there. There's no point in having this, you know, beautifully organized house, for example, if everything's kind of just hidden away in the cupboards. So it's the same thing with email, you want to deal with it at the source. And there's a real strategy towards this. And you start looking at your emails in the same way you would approach the paper category when you go through the KonMari method in your home. And Marie's philosophy when it comes to um, papers is to basically get rid of them all because nothing is worse than papers. Now, I know a lot of people feel the same thing with their emails and there is a strategy that Scott recommends in the book. And if you're finding them too overwhelming, literally just archive them all and start afresh. If it's gonna be a real stress to deal with the root of this problem, then just archive them for now. Now me, I would want to deal with the root of the problem and I would look at my inbox and I would think about what I can do with those emails first of all and how I'm going to store them away because when you're dealing with your papers in KonMari you have three categories of organization. The papers you want to keep you put into pending which is papers that you're going to deal with within the next couple of weeks or days. You have short-term keep papers that is you know, maybe a bill that needs to be paid, something could be dealt with in the next few months and then discarded and then you have your long-term keep documents so these are things like your marriage certificate your birth certificate and so on but when it comes to email I consider it to be two categories. You've got your inbox, which is kind of like your pending station. And then you've got your folders, which is your long-term keep. And you might be keeping it for a whole multitude of reasons. But when you are thinking about organizing the, the emails that are currently there, a lot of people make the mistake of just kind of filing them away into a really overcomplicated filing system. And I've worked with people on their emails before and they've got hundreds and hundreds of folders and subfolders and they can never find anything and the recommendation is to have 10 folders and just try and stick to that number where you can just you know amalgamate your categories and put them into an overarching category so I do this with my work for example I'm quite active on social media so I've got Instagram I've got Facebook I've got YouTube I've got my blog and all of this goes into one category of social media so if there's anything related to that I will go straight into that folder so it's really important to think about what kind of email persona you own at this time. And there are three main personas that um, are, are um, represented in this area. And the first one is that you are a frequent filer. So when you get an email come in, you automatically stop what you're doing and you want to read it straight away and then file it straight away. And you're doing this so many times throughout the day, which obviously impacts on our levels of productivity and output. Um, and there are some people that are called spring cleaners. So these are people that um, 
at the beginning of the year or every couple of months, they get really overwhelmed by their emails. So they just delete everything. Um, and then they start again from scratch. And then there are no filers. So these are people that just let their inbox accumulate and accumulate and they get that notification that tells them they've got like 10,000 emails, that really annoying red bubble. So you have to think about what kind of persona you fall into when you're thinking about email and you know change these habits and think about how is this impacting me if you're okay with being a no filer and it doesn't impact on your anxiety levels and your stress levels then fair enough keep that way but if you are being adversely impacted by it then you have to think about what to do with it and start to file away these emails and get that sense of order and organization now I always tell people in a similar way they approach their digital clutter when it comes to photographs, you don't just want to spend a whole day deleting photographs on your computer and phone. It's mindless. It is, you know, very, very boring. And, you know, you're, you're going to lose the will to live, basically. So I always set people, you know, 10 minute task or a 20 minute task, what's ever going to work for you. And you'd set your timer every night to tackle either your photographs. You can use the same thing with your email. So set your timer 20 20 minutes, just sort your inbox first of all, put that into folders, discard as much as possible, and keep emails that are actually going to serve a purpose moving forward. Look at your folders and think, are those folders still serving a purpose? Is that a project that I've completed five years ago? Do I actually refer to it? If not, let it go and let it go with gratitude. Anything that you're keeping in KonMari has to be kept with confidence. Again, going back to that KonMari principle, you want to keep things with intention moving forward. So is it going to impact your work in a positive way to keep this folder or email? Is it going to lead to a new opportunity, a new career choice? All of these things have to be rooted back to your values and the vision you've set yourself so in the same way you set yourself a vision for your work life you have to go smaller and set yourself a vision for how you want your email inbox to look like and how you want your storage of these emails to look like um, and there's one last point that I want to make about email and that is that we all have to be a role model and you're going to receive lots and lots of emails if you send lots and lots of emails so are there other <laughs> are there other creative ways that you can engage the person that you are working with does it actually need to be sent an email can you actually bring that up in a meeting you know a lot of people hit the reply all button which is a real bugbear for a lot of people that I work with you know it's all about conscious decision making moving forward so if that email doesn't need to be sent then don't send it because the fewer you send the less you are going to receive and if you have had that fresh start and you're looking at your email objectively anything that then comes in after that because you have to maintain it moving forward is it a mailing list is it a newsletter does this continue to have a purpose in your life if not unsubscribe when i went through the culinary process of my digital i think i unsubscribed from about 30 to 40 mailing lists that just had no longer had any relevance in my life but because i was on automatic pilot i didn't see all of this stuff coming in all of this information and just how much is impacting on me so treat this as a fresh start and in the same way that papers keep on coming into your home emails are going to keep on coming into your inbox so you have to change your behaviors around that getting to the root of the problem first and then thinking about the positive ways you can maintain it moving forward and being a role model to everybody else all of that resonates completely isn't it interesting uh, that when you go away on holiday and, and go through a period of not responding to emails, that actually there's a correlation. You get fewer. Now, part of that is because your colleagues are paying respect to the fact that you're away. 
but a lot of it is about the sort of self-fueling engine concept that you have. I had a boss a few years ago, actually, who would never, ever respond to an email or a text message, never, just didn't do it. And guess what? He didn't get many emails. Uh, <laughs> so that's a, that's a rather interesting technique. Also, the batching uh, that you talked about, I, I have half an hour in the morning, half an hour in the middle of the day, half an hour at the end of the day, and I do not look at or respond to emails in between. Yeah. And that's yeah. something that's very urgent that catches my attention. Usually somebody would ping me if that's the case. So really interesting. Um, look, we're going to go to a, a few questions from the floor. Uh, so the, the way that we're going to do this in a virtual uh, way is we've got this little tool over, over that I'm looking at on a screen over here. So if you see my eyes converting uh, <laughs> over here, that's why. Uh, it's called Adori. It's a tool that we use in uh, in Google. And I have a, a set of questions here that have come in from people. I will read the questions to you. And there's a mixture of work questions and home questions here. Okay. So the first one is um, as follows. I always feel like I own too much stuff and it makes me feel overwhelmed and sometimes guilty. But when I try to minimize my belongings by asking myself whether the items, item sparks joy, I find they still do, and I end up with too much. Any advice? Okay. There's one key word that I would focus on there, and that's that idea of guilt. Now, I work with so many clients, and that comes up often, you know, whether this item has been given to them as a gift, whether it's something that they have spent a significant amount of money on, and they feel really bad letting it go because of the value, all of these things come up when you're decluttering and using the KonMari method of tidying. But this is a really good teaching point for us all. And this is the part of the session when I always stop and I say, right, what are we going to learn from this? Okay, so this is something that somebody has bought you. And at the time, it was to fulfill a purpose and a need in them to give you something. So you don't actually need to hold on to this anymore because the true purpose of a present is to be received. If you aren't actually going to get joy from it, then please feel free to let it go with confidence and express gratitude for what that person has given you and the intention behind that. Now, when you're thinking about items that are of value, that money has already been spent. There's nothing we can do about that now. So you don't need to feel guilty about that because it's already happened, it's in the past in the past sorry but what you can do moving forward is use that as a learning opportunity and an opportunity to not make the same mistakes ever again now there's one thing that that person has said and is that it, it all sparks joy for for them and if it does purely all spark joy for you then by all means keep it KonMari isn't about discarding it's about focusing on keeping the things that you love but it's you're feeling overwhelmed by the amount of stuff that you're keeping then you have to dig a little bit deeper in terms of what are the reasons reasons why you're holding on to this stuff because we can only hold so much in our lives without feeling overwhelmed and anxious so yes it's okay to keep items there are maximalists out there that are fully converted into the KonMari principles and there are minimalists out there but KonMari isn't minimalism it's about finding a unique balance that's worth working for you Fantastic. Thank you, Katrina. Um, I'm going to pick up on the spark joy thing because uh, I think yeah. there's a really interesting dimension. Most of us, uh, or many of us at least, uh, live with others, um, you know, whether that's a partner, family member or uh, flatmates. Um, what do you do when an item, item sparks joy for you, but not for another family member like your spouse? 
should you consider only items that spark joy for both of you? And I'm sure you have personal experience with this. Uh, certainly if I talk to my wife, you know, my joy gauge is quite different from her joy gauge. Yeah. How do you reconcile that, I guess, is the question. That's a really good question. And it's important to mention that everybody's level of tidiness is completely different. Some people work perfectly well in organized chaos, whereas other people favor a more minimalist and nurturing environment in that way. Now, when I work through the process with my husband, there are many things that he held on to that have a prominent position in our home that I don't necessarily like, but I can never force people to get rid of things. In the same way, I can't force my husband to get rid of things. I can't force my clients to get rid of things. This is purely their own journey. And when you do live with another person or with family members, we have to put aside our own feelings of what sparks joy for us and start to appreciate those items and what they bring to the individual that wants to keep them. So, you know, you can never force anybody to tidy up their belongings. And if you start to force them to do this, then you lose trust and you do not want this process to be a source of tension for you both. So to use an example, when my husband and I were going through the Conmary method ourselves, he had a whole shelf of legal textbooks that took up a whole space on in, in our living room. And he did not want to let them go. He trained as a barrister and he has gone on to do something completely different. But for him, he couldn't let go of those textbooks because that represented part of his life where he had put in so much effort and he was committed. And if I let go of these books, then I'm gonna let go of that part of myself. So I said, you know, it's purely your choice. I don't like them being there, but if you wanna keep them, I respect your wishes and I, I will put up with it, you know, um, and I'll try and find the appreciation behind that. Now, it was only two years after we had had our first child and we first child and we completed and we completed, and we completed the items on the shelf and discovered, you know what, I haven't actually gone into those textbooks once. And I'm now at a point in my career where I feel that, you know, it's still part of me, whether I hold on to these items or not. So I'm going to let them go. And, you know, I was very supportive of that decision. I thought, well, you know, if that's what you want to do, darling, I'm 100% on board. Um, so the point is, you can't force people to, to, to let go of things. You know, they might let go in their own time, and you can be hopeful of that. But try and find the appreciation for what this item or what this collection of objects is doing for that person's well-being. You never want to force somebody to let go of something that they, they really want to hold on to. That's a great example. It makes me smile. I'm actually a recovering lawyer myself. I was a barrister 25 years ago. Um, oh, and uh, I, I got over the nostalgic attach, uh, attachment to my legal books um, uh, a long, long, long time ago. <laughs> Probably during when I was practicing. Okay, so let's go to the, uh, the next one um, here. How do you minimize and organize a wardrobe for somebody living in a small place? For example, renting a room with four seasons worth of clothing plus additional holiday and occasional wear uh, items. How do you minimize? How do you organize and minimize? Organize and minimize. So 
clothing was my biggest issue when I first went through the process and I was the type of person that had all of her winter clothes in two suitcases when it was summer and then I transferred them over when the seasons changed and this took me about half a day every six months and I look back on that now and I think just how silly I was and how wasteful <laughs> that was and how stressful it was as well and I would often not be aware of the things that I owned in those suitcases so when winter came I'd buy another sweater that looked really Christmassy and lovely to only find when I got everything out that I had six of them already there. So the whole point of KonMari is to look of your look at your items all in one spot. So when you're tackling clothes, for example, you're encouraged to bring every single item of clothing that you own and put it in one space. And this is normally a person's bed and we call it the power of the pile because when they organize their items in this way, or sorry, not organize, but dump their items in this way, they're forced with the reality of this is the accumulation of my stuff which has gone over 10 years, 20 years, 50 years for some of the people that I work with. Now for some people this goes just on the bed, some people it goes on the floor, some people it goes out into the hallway and into another room. I've seen a lot of stuff but you have to deal with these items all in one go and you're encouraged to pick up the items one by one and decide which ones you want to keep moving forward and the ideal is then to store all of these items in one place so my wardrobe now for example i have all of my summer items on all of my winter items for every season including you know swimwear when i go on holiday it's all in one place my clothing is just purely there i'm in a few dresser drawers so i'm able to find things when i need them so when you're talking about minimizing, first of all, you have to bring everything there. There's no point in just dealing with it one season at a time because you'll forever be tidying. So deal with the items all in one go and then think about how to store them in a way so that you remember consistently what's there. Because if you know what you own and where it's stored and the quality of each item as you come into contact with, you know, folding it and taking care of it, then you're more conscious about other things coming into your home. So never hide things away in complicated storage systems. If you can, then make the most of the space you have at the moment to store all of your items in in that one spot and if you can't do that just be mindful of where you're storing these things I know some clients don't have enough storage space they like to you know store their seasonal items for holiday under the bed then I tell them whenever you are you know going out to a shop and you're tempted to buy that new bikini or that new caftan or that new hat or that new pair of you know swimwear whatever it is you have to go to that little box first and see what you've got before going out on that shopping trip and making an informed conscious decision moving forward thanks katrina i can imagine the asker of this question will have a big pile in uh, uh his or her uh, tonight very common very common Let's uh, let's move. Um, more of a work question. This one. Any tips on how to approach lunch preparation during the day? Sometimes it takes too much time. I guess that's time to prepare the lunch, and it sort of takes you away from the working desk, uh, and you yeah. get distracted from work. Any ideas for how to manage that? Okay, um, that is a really interesting question. Actually, I I wouldn't consider lunch preparation as a distraction. I'd consider lunch preparation as a kind of 
a welcome break from work. Um, and again, if you're giving yourself a time block of time for lunch, which I hope you are all doing, you know, upwards to an hour, um, I, I would hope that you would approach that lunch preparation as a source of joy because you're adding nutrition to your body. So again, had changing your mindset of how you actually approach that. Now, keeping meal planning simple, I'm a massive fan, as you can probably imagine, of the meal planner. Um, my husband and I, we have a set meal plan that we follow week by week by week. And obviously we change it up on weekends when we've got more access to, you know, um, uh, different food sources and things. But we follow the same meal plan every day so that when it comes to making a choice of what we're having, the choice has already been made for us. So put in a little bit of effort with your meal plan at the start of the week, and then that can save you heaps and heaps of time. And then, you know, when you are engaging in that activity, try and think about how to be more mindful about it. You know, this does come back to us being more present with ourselves than engaging these tasks with joy and how this food that you're preparing is going to nurture you and then give you energy for the rest of your day's work so just thinking about it in a different way and a, a lot of people I talk to I always use the example of how I prefer to wash dishes over you know storing them away in um, a dishwasher we actually use our dishwasher for storage Craig <laughs> we never ever use it at all um, so when we're washing dishes it's a time for us to express gratitude to those items to fully engage with it it's kind of like a meditative state that we go in I say we I do most of the washing of the dishes so I go into this meditative state um, and again it's back to that rooting of presence how can I engage Fully in the moment think about what I'm doing and use this as a breakaway from from what I'm doing at work and sometimes right. when we engage in these seemingly simple tasks giving ourselves breathing room in this way can actually lead the way for us to have a creative thought or a deepening thought into what we're actually doing so just approaching this lunch preparation in a different way and just by incorporating a little bit of meal planning there that can maybe transform how this person is feeling about preparing their lunch and it taking them away from work Welcome Thank to you. Thank you. I sounds like the Hassan household is very organised. Uh, hats off to you. Um, I'm going to combine two questions here because they kind of have the same thing. It's about um, being time poor. So, uh, and, and there's a really good example here. Um, you know, uh, working from home at the moment, we no longer have that chunk of time where we're commuting. Um, yeah. But often that's been replaced, if not extended, by other household chores. Uh, like cooking, washing up, laundry, maybe doing that spring cleaning, uh, which makes the workday day feel a lot longer than ever before. Uh, and I guess that's exacerbated if, um, you know, for those people who maybe have uh, cleaners or somebody else who helps them with that, that's not happening at the moment, which adds to it. Uh, so any advice that you can give there for those who are finding their time poor and the sort of working from home? Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't want any of you to think that I live in a purely perfect Pinterest-worthy household. You know, this is a working organism. I always refer to the home as something that is like living and breathing and changing on a daily basis. And for those of you that don't know, I have two small children. Hermione is two and Romeo is nearly four. So they create a lot of mess. And we have to, at the moment, let that idea of perfectionism go. We just want to be able 
able to maintain things on a daily basis. So there are cleaning tasks that I try and prioritize throughout my week and I get it done quite quickly because obviously I live in quite a tidy household. So another benefit to tidying is that things are able, you're able to clean your environment much more quickly. Um, but I try and give myself, you know, I space these um, cleaning tasks out throughout the week and I try and engage in another activity when I'm doing it that takes me away from what I'm actually doing because I, I, I hate cleaning. I really don't like to spend hours on end cleaning. So I'll listen to a podcast, I'll listen to some music, I'll put something on in the background that motivates me and I'm learning at the same time because I'm always trying to learn new things. And just by doing a different activity when you're going about these daily tasks can make you feel a little more, a, a bit more appreciative of doing them. Um, so I try and approach these tasks in different time slots throughout the week. But I also, I'm very kind to myself because at the moment, my husband and I are working from home. We're looking after the needs of our children. So there are things that aren't going to get hoovered up for, you know, maybe a week. And that's okay. We just have to let go of that ideal of perfection right now and embrace the times that we're in. And a little bit of uncleanliness, you know, as long as you're not wasting, you know, not going months and months and months without cleaning the bathroom. This is just something we have to um, realize right now. And my husband and I have had this conversation. It's very similar to how we felt when we first had um, Romeo when he was born. You know, the cleaning kind of went to the wayside because we're adapting to this new way of life. Now, you know, the situation we all find ourselves in, we're still very new to it. So give yourself some breathing room. Be kind to yourself at this stage and don't aim for perfection. Just do the basic level that's going to make you feel like you can engage in your environment in a productive way you know you don't have to spend this time spring cleaning I'm not telling you to conmari your whole household don't set that expectation for yourself which is going to create more stress because as soon as you're feeling stressed out engaging in these different cleaning tasks or engaging in the conmari process that's when you have to stop this should be a joyful process in the same way cleaning although I hate cleaning I like to try and view it with a positive mindset okay I'm doing this so that I feel better about my environment so I can be fully present with my children and not be looking at that dust that is accumulating on the mantelpiece. So just shifting your perspective of, you know, letting go of that perspective, sorry, that level of perfection, but also embracing the fact that this is a temporary time at home. It's not always going to be like this. Just give yourself some breathing room there and just be kind to yourself. So lean into it and think minimum viable product. That's what we would say at, uh, at Google. Thank yeah. you. Uh, this is um, another question here. Uh, you've talked um, uh, in the past about the Pomodoro, uh, Pomodoro technique, which is, as I recall it, so it's sort of about chunking. Uh, you know, you're only able to do um, one task, and uh, but only concentrate for a certain period, so chunking of, of work. Uh, the question is, doesn't the Pomodoro technique contradict the deep work principle? Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good question. I was very interested to read that. So the Pomodoro technique of time interval is, uh, for those of you that don't know, it's about scheduling blocks of time to focus purely on a task before then taking a short break. So it's a period of 25 minutes followed by a five minute break, a 15 minute break, and then you repeat the cycle four times before having a longer break. So I tell people to use this as an introduction into time interval management. So it's not 
one size fits all, it's an introduction into it. So if you're feeling that you cannot concentrate on a task for a long period of time, try the Pomodoro technique first. Now I no longer practice the Pomodoro technique because I've trained my focus to focus on a task for an hour and a half up to two hours before taking a break. And that's what works for that that's what works for me right now. But if you are going to engage in that deep level of focus, you need to practice that skill and concentration first. So yes, the Pomodoro technique does you know, impact on that deep focus level, but it's purely an introduction. So start with the time frame of Pomodoro if you're struggling with it and then expand on it to find a time frame that's gonna work for you. It will lead you to knowing how long you can engage in that deep level of focus and what's gonna work for you in terms of then scheduling your breaks. Great answer, thank you. Um, as you were talking about your young children, I was um, I was reflecting on mine, not so young children. I've got two teenage boys, and it seems like for them, they haven't quite passed that phase uh, of putting the pile in the middle of the floor. In fact, that, that's their preferred permanent state. Uh, in fact, we call it floor drove rather than the wardrobe. Um, so I wanted to ask a personal question. Um, how, do you, how do you do? Uh, how, how do you sort of move a, a teenager, and particularly a teenage boy? Uh, into into this world if uh, if they're not ready for it. Yeah, that's a really good question. I always get asked to work with um, my clients' children if they have them, and I've worked with children ranging from three upwards to about 16, and everybody's different. And some people engage in the process with positivity and confidence because they've seen their parents doing it, so they're quite likely to adopt that behaviour if you're setting the role model for them. Um, but, you know, sometimes people just like living in organized chaos and as long as they can find things if they're happy with that then you just have to let them have that space because when you're in a shared space at home and when you're living with family members everybody needs their space to do exactly what they want with it and if mess is going to be in that space you kind of have to draw a blind eye to it I know some of my clients like to just shut the door and just let them deal with it but if you find that it's impacting them negatively and it's a source of stress and anxiety they can't find anything they are then you know sending in their homework late because they can't find the relevant papers if it's actually impacting on their level of productivity and their work life in a negative way then you have to have that conversation with them and share with them the process that you've been going through set that role model for them and say look this is what I've done this is how I organize my papers this might help you you just engage them in that in that conversation first of all um but often I find with my clients um tidying is contagious so I remember working with one couple and they had lived in a disorganized house for years and he is an academic so he has got papers and papers and papers everywhere can never find anything it's always a source of stress and when I first came into their home that he he didn't want me there you know he was very polite to me but you could sense that you know I don't know what this lady's doing here now it took about 15 sessions with his wife for him then to perk up to me and say okay Katrina I've seen what you've done with my my wife's wardrobe could, could we possibly just have maybe an hour to have a look at my sock drawer maybe my you know maybe my shirts and just just to give you for you to give me a little bit of insight there so for me that was an amazing moment because he was then engaging with the process it took a long time but he got there so and for his wife that was a wow moment I never thought this guy would come around to this idea of tidying so we then started to work together because he could see the positive impact 
it was having on his wife, he became interested in the process. You know, it's not just about maintaining a tidy environment, it's about introducing systems that make your life easier. And the turning point for him was when he saw how we went about her paper organization. Um, she has her own business, and when we'd organized her papers, she knew that she was able to run her business more effectively. Now, he felt inspired by that, but as an avenue into that, we had to start with his clothes first, obviously following the methodology of KonMari. So he was inspired by something that he knew was going to be beneficial to him. So tidying is contagious, and one or two things happen. One, the person will either get on board with the tidying and then being inspired to complete their own journey, or two, you will feel more order and structure over your own life. So your tolerance for other people's messes does tend to increase. So be hopeful. You know, I'm not saying that tidying is is for everybody. The Conmari method isn't for everybody, but it's particularly for the people that suffer from a source of stress and anxiety when they're thinking about how cluttered their space is at home. So there is hope, I promise. Thank you, thank you, Katrina. Looks like we just had a, uh, a delivery there. That wasn't that wasn't the bill, but we are approaching time, so we've probably got uh, <laughs> time for, uh, one more, perhaps. Um, really good question here. Do you ever find yourself spending too much time thinking about certain work challenges and problems during your post-work retrospective? So this is reflecting back on the day. How do you force yourself out of that work zone? when just saying, okay, I'm done for the day is not helping. Yeah, this is something I really struggle with because I'm so passionate about my business. I have to work really hard to switch off. And this in itself, Craig, is a skill. You know, I've talked a lot about um, in previous wellbeing sessions, how to distinguish between work time and personal time and having your shutdown ritual where you prepare your body and your mind for closing off from work from the day. Now saying that, I still feel the urge to spend a little bit of time on LinkedIn in the evening, just start having a look at some opportunities that might be presenting themselves there. I might just want to glance my emails and see, okay, this project that I'm working with, is there any more developments on that? Because I'm so passionate about my job. But I have to train myself to create boundaries around that urgency to deal with it when it first comes in or to when I find myself reaching for something, it's all about creating positive habits moving forward. And I'm not perfect. Sometimes I can operate that, okay, my phone's off, it's in another room, I'm not even going to look at it. And sometimes I'll think, okay, I just want to have a look there. And I then reflect on that and think, what is drawing me back to it? Can it wait until the morning? Because every time I go back to those work tasks, it takes me a further 20 minutes to then focus on my personal time again, because my mind is engaged. I'm passionate about it. I want to do something about it. I want to think about things. I want to develop things. And I, I get embroiled in that, that work life again so to protect my own well-being I make sure that I put in place boundaries that prevent that distraction prevent that interruption from taking place and I'm getting better at it day by day it's the same principle when I'm with my children I don't have my phone around it's out of sight I don't want to feel tempted because it's easy when they're tantruming to have a little glance at my emails because I want to take myself somewhere different you know I have to put in place those strict boundaries to protect that time with my children and also protect my own personal time and engage fully in what I'm doing. If I'm playing cards with my husband in the evening, I don't want to be them glancing at my phone 
know time it lights up. So our phones are face down, they're out of the room. I don't want to be looking at my emails before bed. So I make sure my phone isn't actually on my bedside table. It's upstairs in the kitchen. That's a bit weird for some people. We have an upside down house. Our kitchen's upstairs and our bedroom quarters are downstairs to make that make sense for people. Um, but I incorporate these um these things my rules in my life and these boundaries in my life so that I can protect my own well-being time and you know I work hard when I'm assigning myself to work but then I rest well and I rest deeply when I'm engaging in that personal time and I think that's important for everybody to continue to work on and you will get better at it over time it just takes a great deal of practice absolutely fantastic advice and very timely um very timely advice in in the moment um let's leave it there it's a great note to end on. Uh, Katrina Hassan, thank you so much. Uh, again, I'll put the details below, uh, sparkjoylondon.com. Um, uh, Marie Kondo's new book uh, is Joy at Work, Organising Your Professional Life. Uh, also, uh, the link's below. So if you're interested in having a one-on-one -on -one after, uh, after the unlock or virtually, like we're, we're doing at the moment, um, you yeah. can uh, get hold of uh, Katrina for now. Uh, I thank you very much for these really, really timely tips and uh, how to, to apply Conmarie to the professional life. Thank you, Katrina. Well, thank you very much for inviting me into this interview today, Craig. I love what you're doing with your YouTube channel. I think it's a real inspirational platform. So congratulations for that. And I appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. Thanks. Have a great day. You too. Hey guys, I think we can just hang out the call. Okay. So we can leave the call. Thanks, Thank bye. you. Thanks both. Bye. Thank you.